Hi everybody, welcome to Stratosphere Lounge. I'm Bill Little and uh, another perfect launch for a perfect day uh, here in uh, Perfect Land. Um, I uh, am here on the 9th of December uh, and we are doing our regular Thursday night show. Um, I'm going to have to make it relatively brief tonight because I've got to travel tomorrow. I'm going to be at the, um, at the Mercury Museum in Dallas, Texas. And I don't remember the last time I went out on a speaking engagement that wasn't political, but this one's not. I'm going to be there on Friday. Yes. Um, and uh, this one's not political. I think I seem to remember back in 2013 or 14 when I was going out all the time, right after the um, right after the virtual presidency thing. Uh, I got invited to be the guest speaker at the Southeastern Timber Dudes Association. And I just talked about free enterprise or something like that. It was, that was bizarre. Also probably the highest paying job I ever had too. Um, but uh, tomorrow's gonna be cool. Uh, tomorrow, um, I am actually gonna be at the Mercury Museum and they want me to talk about Apollo 8. Apollo 8. So no, I'm uh, uh, so that uh, Aesop asked, think it's going to turn political? Not not on my account, it's not. Um, so yeah, I talk about um, I get to talk about the Apollo Eight mission, and nobody really talks about the Apollo Eight mission. Let's give you a rough thumbnail of where I'm going with this. Everybody remembers obviously Apollo Eleven. It's the first time we ever landed on another planet, but the first time we ever went to another planet was Apollo Eight, um, and. Uh, and Apollo 8 was an accident. Apollo 8 was a was a wasn't an accident exactly. It was it was one of the world's maybe you could make the case the biggest act of improvisation ever. The, it was a complete departure from the um, from the very steady progressive timeline. Uh, they had their Apollo capsule in orbit, Apollo command module in orbit on Apollo 7. Um, Wally Shira has a onboard mutiny. The two guys flying with them never fly again. And then they're ready for Apollo 8, which was going to simply be in Earth orbit, test the lunar module in orbit. Uh, but the lunar module wasn't ready, and it didn't look like it was going to be ready for a while. So NASA, not today's NASA, the real NASA. NASA said, um, well, hell, man, here it is, December of, uh, of uh, 1968. We've got outside 13 months, really 12, to get to the moon and bring them back in order to make it uh, in terms in time for Kennedy's before this decade is out. So instead of just sitting on their thumbs, which is what we do today and study the problem, they took a look at what was on the board and they said, okay, so we don't have a LEM. What have we got? Well, we've got a command service module we know works. We've got a Saturn V rocket, which is um, done, I don't know, I think, I'm gonna say there's four or five unmanned launches and then Apollo 7 and then Apollo 7 might have been on a 1B, come to think of it. It certainly must have been. In any event, they got Saturn V's out coming out the ears. They just all lined up ready to go. So let's go to the moon. What the hell? We don't have a LEM, but we weren't going to land anyway. Let's just do it. So they did it. The two things I'm going to try and get across tomorrow are, um, are related to each other. Uh, first of all, um, I've got to find something that's the appropriate size. I'm going to take a baseball with me. But there are very, very few people 
who really understand just how far the moon away, how far away the moon is in terms of visually. In fact, there's almost nobody, unless you're really, really into it, who can really have an honest sense of what the solar system really is. And the reason for that is scale. Whenever you see a, a, a drawing of the solar system with all the planets um, and the sun in the middle, that's nothing like to scale. If the orbits were to scale, the planets would be microscopic. If the planets were to scale, the orbits would go, you know, four blocks down. So you always have to make this compromise, and that's all fine, and, and, and it certainly gets the point across, but over time, people tend to think that the moon is, you know, what, maybe, I don't know, five, six Earth diameters away. It's much, 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 much further away. When people, um, when people actually see how far away the moon is, uh, it kind of blows their mind. Um, and I hope to do that. And then the other thing I thought about doing, which is also related to scale, let's show how far away the moon is. You get to hear this first because I've never really talked about this before. But here's basically I'm going to open tomorrow, I think. Everybody here has been on a commercial jet. Everybody's flown on a commercial airplane. And they're cramped, and everybody knows they're cramped. And you're sitting shoulder to shoulder like this. But, but generally, you can get up, you can walk around, you look down at the Earth. The Earth doesn't look all that far away. I mean, you know, it's, you, you've got this sense of scale, and this a moving, um, this moving uh, scale, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's not a matrix exactly. Anyway, you and the airplane are moving through the air at 500 miles an hour, and everything feels pretty much okay. But here's where I want you to go with this. Think about when you've been on the ground and seen an airplane at absolutely top altitude, an airplane that is so high that you can barely see the airplane. Frame of reference, sure, that'll work. Um, so just imagine yourself on the ground, and you're looking up at the sky, and you see this tiny, tiny little silver speck, which is an airplane at 38,000 feet, a commercial jetliner, and it's cruising along. Now, imagine that you can look up into that tiny little speck and you can imagine what three seats side by side would look like because you've often sat in the middle seat. All of that three seats side by side containing that tiny little speck. Well, the Apollo uh, main uh, command module is not much bigger than three seats across. It's a little deeper, but width-wise, about the, about the width of an airplane row. And now, try to imagine up there in that little speck where you know there are three seats across, there are three men, but they're not up there. They are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of times further away. It's, it's impossible to imagine how small humans are when they go to the moon. And that's the thing I think that really needs to be highlighted, just the raw guts of it. It's not just that it's far away. It's more far away than you can imagine. It's more far away than you think. And to do it in anything smaller than a, a you know, a, 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 a battleship seems to be insane. It seems to be it. Well, it is insane. It is. It's insane. It's what we do. And that, I think if you can just get that across, you got most of Apollo 8 out of the way. Um, the idea that you're that you're going to do this. This is the first time ever that where guys fired a rocket engine and gave themselves Earth escape velocity, which means they're not coming back unless everything goes well. 
Um, I'm, I'm not going to take a globe, Bart. I'm going to take a I'm going to take a baseball for the Earth, and I might take like a marble or something for the Moon. Um, but I know I, I I can calculate the scale when I when I have the uh, the radius of the baseball, which I can find online. Um, and and just the the just the sheer nerve of it. That's the thing that that is so amazing about Apollo Eight. They they fired that that third stage, and off they go and. And we're not coming back if this if this engine doesn't light again. Um, you uh, you're not coming back. They're the first men to travel to another world, and I mentioned this many years ago when we were talking about doing the free frontier thing. That's before Elon Musk stepped up and actually started making progress and was talking about the idea of a crowdfunded space program. Yeah, I saw that, Marisha. It's pretty amazing. Um, you can fit all of the planets if you take all of the planets in the solar system and just line them up so they're just touching each other fit between between the uh, earth and the moon not the earth and the sun earth and the moon that's uh useful uh, anyway um so all of this for uh, for apollo 8 and um and i'm also going to do something that i've always looked forward to doing because i've got about half an hour to kill something like that there were going to be some other speakers, but they, they uh, canceled at the last minute. Probably heard I was coming. Knew there's no chance to follow this guy, so they just did the smart thing and just chickened out. But the other thing, um, the other thing is, they were not in a, a did, did Apollo 8 orb, surely Apollo 8 orbited the moon. You know, I was sure it was a figure eight, and then I, I became sure that it was actually not. Now I have to find out because that'd be a good thing to know. Yes, yes, the crew orbited the moon ten times. Thought I was right about that. So um, there you go, ten ten orbits, and uh, so it 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 was uh, it was out there. Thank yous. This time, finally, I'm as fast as the uh, echo on the um, on the uh, comment section live here. Uh, but here's the other thing that, that I wanted to talk about, and I wanted to talk about the moon. First of all, nobody realized just how dark the moon is. I'm going to see. Uh, you know what? This just because I'm going to take this with me if I can. Um, the moon is damn near black. It's really, really, really dark. And, and the reason that we don't see it that way is because at nighttime, you know, it's, it's up there and it's like, oh, okay, got it. Uh, you know, it's bright compared to everything else. The, 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 the typical reflective surface of the moon, the moon's albedo, is about the same as a black surface asphalt. It's, it's, just, it's just really, really, really dark. Here's the one. So this is an actual photograph. Uh, it's not a composite. Uh, it's caught on a, a picture taken from a, a probe. Uh, and it happened to catch the moon in front of the Earth. Now, because the moon is in front of the Earth here, the moon is going to look bigger than it is in terms of its actual size. Where did I put that thing? Yeah, this, is, uh, this is the advent. Here, just do it again. Here, take a look at this. Um, but... I'm not so much interested. It, it, the relative sizes are relatively close because this probe's using a big old telephoto lens. But nevertheless, here is the actual here is the actual 
color of the Earth and the Moon unadjusted. This is what they look like together. You can see that Earth is definitely the star of the show here, and the Moon is practically a cinder. I don't think anybody is really aware of, of, of that, just how dark the, the Moon actually is. So there's that. But the other thing, I really wanted to talk about the moon. I don't hear anybody really talking about this. I've talked about it, tried to talk about it a couple times, but I'm just going to do it now because it warmed me up for tomorrow. Um, so we wouldn't be here without the moon. And the moon is not a foreign object. The moon is the, is the, is the earth. It's not just the core of the earth. It's all of the earth. It's, it's a, a, a quarter of the earth, maybe a fifth of the earth, that's in orbit around the rest of the Earth. In the very early days of the solar system, there was a, a planet about the size of Mars called Orpheus. And the original Earth was considerably smaller. And Orpheus hit the, hit the Earth and knocked a big old hunk of the Earth out into orbit. Now, they have tried to recreate this. And, and I've tried it a hundred times on, uh, on Space Engine and the rest of these pretty decent, you know, uh, simulation things. But it turns out that that angle is so narrow, uh, so narrow, that if it's any steeper, then it simply shatters everything. And if it's any shallower, it just knocks rings out. It has to be this perfect angle. And so there's that. So this is, we're living on Earth too. Uh, this is the different planet than the one that was originally here. It's a combination of this and the planet that hit us and the moon is, is part of the Earth. But now it's where it gets interesting. Because whenever people say, where is all the alien life in the universe? My answer to that is, I'm sure alien life is everywhere. But intelligence, intelligent life, technological life is as rare as a solar eclipse, and for the same reasons. When I say as rare as a solar eclipse, I don't mean as rare as they are on Earth. I mean as rare as the idea of a total solar eclipse is anywhere in the galaxy. So since I'm on a roll, I'll just finish this up, take some questions, call it a day. We wouldn't be, there, there would be no technological society on Earth without the moon. There's a number of reasons. The obvious one is that the moon takes a lot of hits that the that the Earth would have taken from asteroids. So every time you get hit by a decent-sized asteroid, it just resets the clock. All of the complex organisms die, and all the simple ones survive, and whatever degree of sophistication the dinosaurs got to, and they got pretty sophisticated, gone. We reset the thing to zero. It's like the lap thing on a, on a stopwatch. And these impacts would be occurring on a much, much, much more frequent basis if it weren't for the moon. It's not just that the moon blocks them as a shield. I've only seen it once, but there was a little flash program, simple, simple, simple little thing, little sphere, and, and, and you would launch asteroids at the Earth from, from a distance and try and hit it. And pretty easy. Once the moon was in orbit around the Earth and you tried to do it, it, it became enormously harder. The moon took some hits directly, but mostly what it did was it accelerated asteroids out of the Earth's way or slowed them down on, on, as they're coming around. It, it just is a gravitational shield that's out there. So without the moon, we would have these, uh, you know, these extinction level events, not every 20, 30, 40 million years. We'd have them probably every you know, two or three million years. So you don't get any technology that way, but it goes much deeper than that.
the moon is so large relative to the earth that we're really a double planet. And because of the moon's relatively large mass, the moon actually prevents the earth from, from tipping over. Over the course of time, as the earth spins thousands, thousands of times on its axis, that axis will wobble. And on virtually every other planet, that axis will actually invert, go upside down. And that means that for part of this super long period, millions of years probably, the North Pole is going to be facing directly at the sun, which means that everything on that side is going to be boiled and everything on the back side is going to be frozen. So if you don't have the moon to stabilize the earth, you don't even get plants. You just stuck with microbes over, over the long period of time. When I gave this more thought, it just got more and more amazing to me. I'm not entirely sure that you can have land-based life if you don't have tides. You can have land-based plant life, but animals, I, I don't know how you get there without tides. All of the, all of the creatures that, that, that made the evolutionary leap to land started out as, as tidal littoral creatures, tidal creatures. Fish that basically swam into shallow waters, tide went out, they got a chance to suck on some air for a little while, and some of them did it better than others, their genes got passed on, and longer and longer and longer. Next thing you know, they were able to venture out on land longer and longer and just come back to the water occasionally, but without tides. Without tides, you don't get that. There's no way to bridge that gap. What the tides do is basically take a significant portion of the surface of the earth relative to what you need anyway, and say sometimes it's gonna be land and sometimes it's gonna be water. And that is essential. And I, I never hear anybody talking about this. I think probably the, the, the final thing is that even if you have intelligence I don't think you get technology without the moon, and, and I'll tell you why. Uh, I didn't understand this in my guts until 2016, I guess it was. If you have ever seen a total solar eclipse, and I've seen thousands and thousands and thousands of photos of them and countless videos of them, I started astronomy when I was 13. I know my solar eclipses, but I had not one seen, seen one in person until the one in 2000, was it 17, 18, 16, something like that. Uh, must have been 18? I don't remember, a couple years ago. When I saw a solar eclipse for the first time, I realized that my first instinct was I will do anything to see one of these things again. That's how overwhelming it is. And that's overwhelming to a guy who goes into a movie theater and sees, you know, 3D, um, uh, 60 frames per second versions of, of, of action adventure movies, 2017, thanks. When I saw that, I was so, I spent the whole two and a half minutes, honestly, I did. And when I saw that, I realized I would do anything to see that again. And, and for ancient man, Here's why I say I don't think you'd have technology without the moon. If you look at all of the, of the cultures on Earth that actually started doing advanced mathematics, the Egyptians and the, the Mayans particularly, those calendars that they created were designed to be able to predict solar eclipses. That's what they were there for, solar eclipses. Um, and somebody said it's, it's 300 times, I'm pretty sure it's 400 times. By the biggest 
most unbelievable coincidence in cosmic history. And this is why there are no other people out there answering on the radio. The moon is 400 times smaller than the Earth. I'm sorry, than the sun. For a solar eclipse. So the moon is 400 times smaller than the sun, but it's also exactly 400 times closer. And so if the moon were 5 10% bigger, you would never get a total eclipse. You'd get what's called an occultation. You would see the, the sun, and then this black body would pass in front of it, and it would be dark again, and then it would come out. But you'd never get the corona. You'd never get that totality. It just wouldn't happen. And if the moon were any smaller, then you just get a transit. Yeah, the sun's brightness would dip, but you would never... The idea that this thing is the exact perfect size to block out the sun to the degree that it, it, it shows you the solar corona, puts that black ring in the sky, I have to tell you, that cannot exist in one in a, a billion systems or, or fewer. Yeah, uh, Ben Rittenhouse says, almost like it was designed. I'll tell you, Ben, I've given this a fair amount of thought. And I have to tell you that of all the evidence there is for intelligent design, this is one of the strongest pieces of evidence. I'm not getting on that train, but I'm not, I'm not saying get off the train either. I'm just telling you, it is because the anthropic principles at work here. The reason that we're having this conversation is because we live in one of the one in 20 billion solar systems that has conditions of right Earth, and they have a moon that's perfect for a solar eclipse so that they can do this whole thing. I don't, um, I don't see how these conditions arise. I can't imagine what the odds of them arising anywhere else is. And people, and I'm one of them, when I started in the Miami Planetarium in two, uh, sorry, in 1973-74, I don't, I, I'm, uh, um, D.E. Vickery, I, I'm, I can't give you any details. I'm going to be there. I think it, it's at, I think it's at six, but you might want to get there earlier. Call them. Um, it's at the Mercury Museum in Dallas. Um, yes, it's a long odds, Bart says, but with enough, with the universe as big as it is, there's no question that it's happened elsewhere, but, but put that aside for a minute. In 1973, we did a planetarium show because there was some evidence, some evidence, that perhaps one and maybe even two planets had been detected around Barnard Star because of the wobble, because there was a little bit of a wobble there. And this was so revolutionary, the idea that there might actually be another planet out there, that, that people who get into astronomy these days, you know, in, in the days of exoplanets, they don't understand what a what a blockbuster of announcement that was. We didn't know if there were any other planets in, in at all in the galaxy. Now the the number of exoplanets just continues to increase. There's a new satellite going up. It's going to multiply that by. We're, we're going. We're already in the. I'm sure we must be in the tens of thousands, and we're probably going to be in the millions in a couple of years. And all we do is look for planets, and we say, "Ooh, look." We've done the calculations. We know how bright the star is. We know what kind of a star is. And we know how, how far this planet is. It's 322 light years away. And this planet is orbiting in the zone where water can exist in liquid form. It's a potential place for life. Yes, exactly. But it's not a potential place for intelligent life because chances are zero, essentially, that it's got a moon like this moon, like this moon. Um, we all owe of it. We we all owe of it. We owe all of it um, 
uh, to the moon. And the moon doesn't get nearly enough credit. In fact, uh, for those of you who may, a few of you may be uh, naked eye astronomers out there, the moon is your arch enemy. If you're interested in astronomy and you go out there with telescopes, the second the moon rises, night's over. And you will go out there and wait for the damn moon to set so it can actually get dark. Um, anyway, that's uh, how it works. And the moon is so far away, even though it appears close to us, it's so far away. I mean, think about this. If you just think about this, the Earth goes around the sun and the moon goes around the Earth, right? And if everything happened in a flat plane, then we would have a solar eclipse every month. Every single month, the moon would go right exactly in front of the sun. Why don't we see that? Well, because the, 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 the orbit of the moon is tilted. And, and, and sometimes when it crosses the sun, it's above the sun. And sometimes it's below the sun. And sometimes it's close, so you get a partial eclipse. The moon takes a little bite out of the bottom of the sun, whatever the case may be. But when these things match up exactly, it is beyond my ability to describe. Other than to say, and I think this will do it, and we'll get on with a couple questions here. Other than to say that I am one of a very few people on the Earth, and, and I'm including myself with the rest of people who've seen solar eclipses, although I'm not at all sure all of them are aware of it. But if you, and by the way, a 99% eclipse won't do it. It's got to be totality. But I am one of the few people who has actually seen the real color of sunlight. You think you've seen the color of sunlight, but you haven't. You've seen this. If you can look at the sun up in the sky like this, it's so bright. We used to stare at the sun when we were kids just to do it because we were idiots. That's not the color of sunlight because your eyes are useless staring at the sun. And when, you're, when the sun is low enough in the sky for you even to be able to glance at it for a moment, that's not the accurate light of the sun because it's coming through atmosphere. The lower it goes, the dimmer it gets, the redder it gets, and the easier it is to look at, and the less it looks like actual sunlight. And I didn't know it until, until the end of totality because when the, when the eclipse ends, there's a period of time and it's less than a second. It's less than a second. But there's one moment when the sun's light actually appears and you're looking at one-tenth of one percent of the total sunlight but it's actually unfiltered right up there and sunlight is the most astonishing white pearly white color that you've ever seen. There's never been anything that I could compare it to. There was that moment when that sun just first appeared and by the time you realized what you were looking at, it was over. But it's just the most beautiful color in, in imaginable. It's not just white light. It's, it's just got this this luster, this kind of, it's, it's, like, it's like waves of liquid pearl coming out of the sky. It's absolutely unbelievable. And and once you've seen it, you really want to see another one. So uh, we decided we'd have to figure out how to do that. And guys sat down and started scratching out on rocks and things and started putting circles together and figured out calendars and uh, got the mathematics together. And after a couple thousand years of mucking around with mathematics, we figured out, oh, Instead of having to wait for an eclipse, we'll just go there. And that's uh, what happened on Apollo 8. Um, but if, I, I really would like to capture 
if I can, or at least help um, help people appreciate these things, how far away it is, how dark it is, how essential it is, how um, critical it is. And, and once I realized how much of this was owed to the moon, I, I haven't ever looked at the moon again since I really ran this chain of thought into the ground. Um, it's, uh, it's amazing. Oh, there was one other, one, one, I knew there was one other factor that I was missing in terms of um, intelligent life. And that is this. It's not just that you have to have a planet. It's not just that you have to be at the right distance from the sun. It's not just that you need a moon. But if you, I believe this is pretty much solid. If you want technological society, you have to have an orbital tilt. And that orbital tilt has to be within a fairly narrow range. If you don't have any orbital tilt at all, at all, then you have no seasons on that planet. If you have too much of a tilt, you have seasons that are so extreme that the entire planet dies from frost or heat. But if that orbital tilt is, and I'm guessing it's somewhere in, the, in, a, in a 10 or 20 degree envelope, right around 25 degrees, or it's tilted at 26 degrees. Because of the tilt of the Earth, the conditions on the Earth through the course of the year mean that large portions of the Earth are habitable at some point in the orbit, but essentially not habitable at other points in the orbit. And, and the winter is not enough to kill everything, but it is enough to make sure that there is no available food. So all the food goes away, but it comes back again. And when you think about that, if you're going to survive in a climate like that, you have to be able to do things that precede, well, it doesn't precede math because the Mayans live in the equator, but you have to you have to have to develop the frontal lobes and be able to anticipate the fact that we are going to go to a place where we won't get to eat for six months out of the year. We better store all this stuff up. So, yeah, life is everywhere. I, I think life is everywhere. I think we're going to find, I I'm, wouldn't be surprised if we find microbes on Mars. I'd be astonished if we didn't find them on Titan and Europa. Uh, I think the, uh, yes, that's exactly right. It's a, it's a K universe. Um, I, I'm sure life is everywhere. And I'm sure complex life is relatively common. Anywhere where liquid water can exist in a liquid state for most of the time, I'm sure we're going to find life there too. Uh, intelligent life is going to be rarer because of the moon not protecting them. The clock will just continue to reset. Technological life will be predicated on having an axial tilt that gives you extremes of hot and cold, but not too much extremes of hot and cold. And finally, you need that that mystical drive that the that the moon that the solar eclipse provides in order to get into things like advanced mathematics. Now, when you put all those factors together, the uh, the distance from the sun, the um, the the, the moon stabilizing the orbit, the moon producing tides, the axial tilt of the Earth, um, all of this stuff together, you realize this is, oh, and, and the 400 times smaller and 400 times closer. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Um, Beefire says Mars is like a microwave. I'd be surprised if we find anything. 
I agree we won't find anything on the surface because ultraviolet light's doing what ultraviolet light does. But um, but I would I if it's not if it's not in ice, I would be a little surprised. The Viking landers in 1976 got back a, a positive. Um, uh, they they the, the, they cooked some they added some chicken soup to to Martian soil and they got back a positive. Then they said, well, it's not conclusive. It's probably not true, but maybe it maybe it wasn't a false positive. Maybe it was a real positive. Um, anyway, anyway, anyway. Uh, so um, so that's that. Uh, excuse me just for one second. I need to take care of one thing here. Um, one second. And then we will move on to the questions. Okay, so let's see what we got. Um, I'm going to go to BillWhittle.com first because uh, first-class uh, passenger seats cost more than uh, the economy-class seats. So screw you guys. Let's see what else we got here. Um, okay, dokie. So we'll go to BillWhittle.com first, then we'll uh, glance at the old Facebook thing and call it a night here. Uh, I know... Oh, by the way, I think I might do this uh, for, I got to remember to do this actually. Um, has, before I get to the questions, it's, it's a weird thing if you're watching this on YouTube, you hear me constantly talking to people and, and you have no idea what we're saying. There's actual conversation going on live all the time. And it's really fun. Um, but have any of you seen the ad for Facebook's Meta, where it's it's uh, for uh, extremely diverse uh, young people walking into Zuckerberg's virtual world. It is the creepiest thing I have ever seen. It it actually makes me it makes me wonder if. It makes me wonder if, if, if it was a some sort of AI bot or something that approved it. Not who made it, but approved it. It is so... Oh, the dystopian one or the nightmare one? I don't think I've seen the dystopian one. I think I saw the night the nightmare one with the tiger from, from the art thing. Um, and good God in heaven. And this is what this is what that reptile is trying to sell on us. I only say that because I'm about to go to Facebook in a minute. And I find myself lately that I'm not as angry at Facebook as I am at uh, YouTube, uh, probably only because I'm getting metrics for how badly I'm getting bit on YouTube. Uh, but in any event, uh, so, so much for that thread. Put out, I don't know if you guys got a chance to see it, put out um, Behold a Flaming Sword today, by the way. Um, it took me... That was the, the the moving back to America for this week. It took me a week to edit that. Um, not uh, not a constant solid week, but I kept thinking, oh, how hard will this be? Um, and, and it was it was it might have been the biggest single 
editing challenge I've ever had to deal with as an editor. It's not the biggest job I've ever had, but it, but it was the um, well, certainly the most complex thing I've had to edit since I stopped being a full-time professional editor. Um, I had to sync up. I had all these reaction videos. I think I had six or seven of them. And not only did I have to uh, find the moments where the best reactions were and then go put them in and get them synced up with, with already uh, that stuff, but, but the problem is, is that is that every one of those seven clips were showing a different frame rate. And so I had to I had to retime them and, and slide them off the sync points. And I had to do it almost frame by frame for virtually every one of them. I had to, had to put like a, uh, you know, 60% transparency on the, on the stuff I'm trying to lay in. I've got the, got the foundation of the, um, of the actual uh, track as my kind of, you know, yardstick. And, and so I can sync the sound up. And, and when you're trying to sync sound up, you get to, you get to see the waveforms. And that helps a lot. And also, if you're a frame off, you get a little bit of phasing, a little bit of an echo. So to get all the to get all the audio in sync, and then I had to, had to make sure that I had enough stuff to cover the shots I wanted, and then I had to go in pretty much on a clip by clip basis and slide it back and forth and try to find out is the face in the little box doing the exact same thing as the main face is. In any event, it took a long time, um, and uh, and I'm really happy with it. Political Animal 87 says, I'm uh, going to have to contact the guy and get him for a character in the Castle series in the uh, animation thing I've done. Uh, I, it's so funny you say that because that was exactly my first thought when I saw the video. Um, thank you. Uh, it, I, was very, I was very pleased with how that came out. Um, and uh, it seemed to be doing pretty well, too. Let's see what the numbers are here. I mean, pretty well compared to what pretty well means these days. 6,000 views in, I don't know, seven hours. It's probably going to go better than average, but it's still not a, not a crazy good number. Um, damn that guy, though, that Samson. It's just, that was just a brilliant piece of work. I just love it. I love it, love it, love it. I've listened to it. Well, I've probably listened to it a couple hundred times when I had to edit it and stuff. Um, so anyway, uh, I'm very happy with that. So let's see, we got over here at our, our friend uh, BillLittle.com, which has been uh, recently facelifted by, uh, by our very own Scott Ott. I might log into this site. And then I will go to Members. Yes, come on now. Member Forum. for lounge questions and more and, and there I'm sure I missed a bunch by the way if you're a member and and you put questions in there and I haven't gotten to it that week if you could post it again if you just cut and paste it that would be easier because I know I've missed a bunch of them so I'm just going to go to the 120921 stress for lounge questions and we'll see what this gets instructions for the forum okay here we go Henry Lumley Henry Lumley uh, we got another Henry Lumley. Uh, we got a couple of Martin Archers. Steve Young. We got Ted Windebow. All the, all the, all the familiar faces. Um, let me see here. I'm going to try and take one of these each. Uh, whether I'll take them both. They're both good.
So here we go. Uh, Henry Lumley, uh, first question is, um, hey, Bill, what changes uh, should or could the executive branch make to the role of attorney general to solve the problem we seem to have with our chief law enforcement officer, namely that they do not enforce the law unless it's politically convenient, and they seem to enforce their interpretation of the law instead of the actual law? Same question, but in regards to state attorney generals and local district attorneys. Would any changes require a constitutional amendment or merely executive action? I don't think it requires a constitutional amendment, Henry, and I don't even think it requires executive action. It requires winning elections. Um, here's the reality of the world we find ourselves in in, in this uh, strange time. The election in Virginia was a very, very big deal for me because I will be perfectly honest with you, I did not know whether or not it would be possible for us to ever win an election again after what I saw in 2020. Oh, Jesse got five guilty verdicts. Oh, we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, now, I, but we, but we can, it's just got to be a huge, it's got to be a huge margin. And furthermore, they're not going to get, you only get one sneak, sneak attack to start a war. Right, so they had their Pearl Harbor, and and when they said we're going to stop counting for the night, you guys go home. Well, we went home. They tried to do that again in 2024. No, no, we're done counting for that. You go home. Nobody's going home. And instead of one Republican down there at every polling place, like uh, the State Farm Marine, there's going to be 200 of them. So they're not going to not be quite as easy next time. Not saying it won't happen. I'm not saying they won't try, but it's not going to be quite the same. Um, so to answer your question, Henry, all you need to do is you need to win the House, the Senate, and the presidency, and that's that. The Constitution's perfect. If we just if we just read the instructions, if we just took the time to read the manual, we wouldn't be in any trouble. Um, so, well, they did it in Georgia for the Senate state Senate election, yes, but I'm calling that the second raid. This is the second wave of, of, of Japanese bombers coming in. You know, people are still shell-shocked and, you know. So, um, so what you have to do, is, and by the way, if the if we are able, I think the I think the 2022 election is going to be a bloodbath for them, a bloodbath of of unseen proportions. But if we are able to do that and win the presidency back, and I think given three years of uh, President Asterix and Vice President, um, uh, I'll just leave it at that. Um, we have a very good chance of doing that. Then. The next president, whether it's Trump or DeSantis or anyone else, the next president should have one priority and only one priority, and that is very simple priority, and it's not increasing defense spending, and it's not dealing with China, and it's not securing the southern border. The next Republican president with a House and a Senate will have two years and only two years to absolutely restore the rule of law to this country, and if it doesn't happen in the first two or three months, it's probably not going to happen. And if it doesn't happen, then it's not going to happen ever. That means that that the president has to go in there and fire the FBI. Fire them. And you could probably fire the CIA as well. Um, you don't have to do it all at the same time, but I would say everybody goes. And that's just the beginning. And then you have to work absolutely assiduously and, and do the same thing on the state's level. And every time you try to restore integrity to the, to the election system, they will say you're trying to steal people's votes and you just gotta be ready to respond to that, um, to that 
accusation. You're trying to restrict people's rights to votes. How are we doing that? You're requiring IDs. How does that restrict somebody's right to vote? You have to have an ID to, 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 to go to 7-Eleven if you want to buy a, a cigarette. How does that restrict their ability to vote? You don't like it, not because it's restricting their ability to vote. You don't like it because it restricts their ability to cheat. And that's what you don't like about it. And that's why you're fighting it tooth and nail. Somebody needs to come out and say that. But if all of these things fall into place, and, and it's, it's, a, it's a relatively, relatively, um, it's not impossible, then, then you simply go in and you have to understand that the second you are inaugurated, the clock is running. You can't wait around for this. You've got so much cleaning to do, and you've got to do it while you've still got the honeymoon. You've got to do it immediately. Uh, Marisha made an interesting point, said make, I, make IDs free. I, aren't they? Does it cost money to get an ID? I agree. I, I, I actually think that's a perfectly legitimate government expense that, that, the, uh, that, the, that a, a state ID, not a federal ID, a state ID, should be free, absolutely should be free. That, and that's not a tremendous burden on the treasury either. It's not like handing out you know, donuts to 400 million people around the world. Um, so we have to understand that that's gotta be the first thing. State ID that isn't a driver's license are usually free. Yeah, though they should be. And if, you know, and, and you just gotta be prepared to hit them right back in the shins. That's not fair to, 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 to poor people, how? How's it not fair to them? And where is the line where it stops being fair? In other words, how much money do you have to make in America before you can go get an ID? What's the cutoff? This is the kind of thing, man. We need to be we need to be prepared for that counterattack. Second thing you say is so you're saying that poor people are, are, are not capable of doing something like this? You're telling me that they're not capable of it? Listen, poor people have to show ID more often than wealthy people do. They have to show ID all the time. They have to show ID when they're, when they're in 7-Eleven. They have to show ID when they're buying cigarettes or liquor. I'm not saying only poor people do that, but I'm saying rich people generally send somebody out to do it. And then poor people have to show ID virtually everywhere. It's, it's, it, it's, it, 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 to say that they can't do it is just nuts. You gotta go in there and you gotta clean all the voter rolls out. And every single time you gotta be prepared for people like this idiot Stacy, what's your name in Georgia, to launch, oh, they're trying to put us back on the plantation and bang us into chains. It's like, actually, Stacy, we're not, we're Republicans. We're the ones that set the slaves free. It's the, it's the Democratic Party that lost an election in 1860 and took the Democratic Party out of the union and called it the Confederacy. That's what actually happened. Stacey Abrams, that lunatic, right? And just call her that. So you're a lunatic. You're 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 lecturing us on election integrity. You've been you've been fighting this. Been claiming you were elected for what, forty years now? No, no. Go at them. Go at them. And and don't ever let them own the don't ever let them own the language. This is about restricting voting rights. It's not. It's about it's about restricting cheating rights. That's how you have to deal with it. That's how you have to deal with it. You have to just. Change the language. Um, and if they come up with something called, which I'm sure is already there, it probably is there already, the Protection of, of, of Voting Rights Act, you need to call it the Protection of Voting Cheating Act because that's what it is. All we're saying is, is that you gotta be who you say you are and that's all we're saying, that's it. Well, we should probably have to deal with, you know, voter suppression is much worse than, 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 uh, than uh, voter fraud. No, voter fraud is voter suppression, as I've said a hundred times. If somebody goes down and illegally votes, 
the opposite of how I vote. My legitimate vote has been stolen from me. My vote has been suppressed by somebody who's canceled my vote and doesn't have any right to. So, um, yes, and uh, Steve Eisen is, for those of you who saw the second fleet uh, moving back to America, which I was very fond of, actually. The, 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 the culture that we had in 2020 is not the culture that we will need to defend the country in 2024. We're going to have the, the fleet at Pearl Harbor could never have taken on the Japanese. It was a blessing that they were sunk. It's not a blessing that those guys died, but that fleet that was the pride of America, the USS Arizona was commissioned was a commissioned in 1916. It was it was commissioned before the First World War. They had to sink so that we could build a new fleet, and our new fleet was amazing. So we have to um, understand that the that the the country we need to build for 2024 doesn't look like the country that we had in 2020. And the first thing we have to do is we have to separate the idea of conservative from Republican. All of these rhinos, when I say all the rhinos have to go, it's not a question of like, it's like, this is how the world continuously changes. Um, when we're in the 50s, in the 50s, the difference between Republicans and Democrats w w was essentially that Democrats favored a 23% top tax and Republicans favored a 17% top tax. If you look at the actual policy differences between Republicans and Democrats for, for virtually the entire run since the Civil War, there's essentially no, dis no difference between them. They're, they're, they're practically identical until you get to, certainly you get to the 60s the 1960s when things start to really go off the rails. Um, and now and now they get so far apart. My point is, is that you could be a rhino in 1950 and and, and not piss off any conservative, not piss off any conservatives, because that's what politics was. How much of this a little more, a little less? No. Um, so that's that's it. You got to just you got to just get in front of all of this, Henry. And, and so you don't need anything special. Don't need a constitutional convention. Don't need um, executive order. I'm so bloody sick of executive order. Executive orders is just dictator. It's a dictatorship. If I can just simply say, I've decided that this is going to happen, that's a dictatorship. It's, 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 and it's anathema to this idea of, of a democratic republic. I, wouldn't, I would eliminate, I would, I would pass an a, a, a executive order that basically made executive orders illegal. I'd undo all of them, and then I would get on my bicycle and ride over to Congress. I'd go up on Capitol Hill, and I would try to convince all of the senators and all of the Republicans in the House and the Senate that I could that we have to pass legislation that eliminates the entire idea of an executive order. We have to pass legislation to simply eliminate it, not an executive order to eliminate executive orders. That's in pencil. We have to go in there, and we have to pass legislation that says the entire idea of an executive order is unconstitutional, and that's what I would do. Second, uh, but there you go. So here's another question from our uh, from the uh, redoubtable um, Henry Lumley, who, who so graciously has put this thing together, and and and, and who's been, uh, you know, who I've ignored so many times with uh, these comments in the members thing. But you know, this show goes where it goes, I guess. Uh, so uh, second question. Uh, hey, Bill, you'd mentioned in a previous stream you think that veterans returning to the civilian world should be kept together like a support group squad. I'm wondering if a similar idea might apply to convicts returning to the civilian world. Obviously, those kind of groups would need to be mostly made up of reformed ex-cons, but if you have the returning prisoners 
met on the outside with a support group of fellow ex-cons that had been rehabilitated along with some father figures within the group, I would think that we could see some improvement in recidivism. Halfway through that question, before you came to your conclusion, I was thinking, this is a really bad idea. What happens when you go to prison is you learn how to be a better prisoner. Whatever, if you're a criminal going in, when you come out, you're a seasoned criminal because you're surrounded by criminal tutors for the length of your sentence. And and it's only when you got to the end of it when I realized that, yes, you're absolutely right. The, the power would be reformed criminals. It wouldn't be, I guess what I was saying to myself is, it's like saying, well, we're going to let alcoholics out of the hospital and, and, and have a group of alcoholics waiting uh, for them. Uh, no, you need to have a group of ex-alcoholics waiting for them. If you could do that, you could do it. I happen to think, as a general rule, that virtually all of our behavioral problems in this country, and these are not unique to the United States, but I think that all of the apparent and abhorrent behaviors in this country as a society, I'm not talking about the individuals, but as a societal problem to solve, I think the answer is not concentration, I think it's disbursement. I think, I think from, from having read a great deal of studies, not only uh, research studies on poverty and the effects of poverty, but mostly anecdotal stories, usually from psychologists and people who have some experience with that, but often just anecdotal stories. The thing you seem to find consistently with with people that live in chronic po poverty is that it's not that they're it's not that it's not that they're not capable of learning it's just that there is absolutely simply no example for them to compare it to so the example i remember so clearly was a some some white guy in san francisco it's back in the 80s or earlier just decided hey man i'm going to live off the grid and and he and he moves into the projects he's like the only white guy in the projects back in the northeast i think in pennsylvania and, and so, okay, he wanted to know what that life was like. And the example he came up with, I never forgot. He said there was a, a tiny, well, the, all the projects are horrific. Now we're getting to the point. Why are they horrific? Why are the projects such terrorizing places? P.G. O'Rourke had been in Beirut when he was being shelled there. He's been in Southeast Asia. He's been all around the world. He's been under direct fire. And P.G. O'Rourke said, um, that he's never been as scared as he was when he went into a, a, a American housing project in the um, in the American Northeast. Why? Why are they so bad? Well, this guy told the story about uh, a family that found a couch that had been abandoned on the side of the road and it was better than the couch they had. So they got together and put it in the elevator or probably the elevator's out of order. So they take it up the stairs. They, they take it to their apartment. They put the new couch into their apartment. They take the old couch out of their apartment and they leave it in the aisle, in the hallway. And that's the end of it. And for a year, everybody had to walk over the couch. They had to, if they're carrying whatever, they have to get up, stand up, walk across the cushions, and then get down on the other side. Why? I mean, forget about things like the fire risk. Why? Why? Because... It's not because they're stupid. It's just because they have, because no one has ever, because they have nothing to compare it to, right? Nothing to compare it to. And so people who are not dysfunctional look at this and say, and say, you're not going to move this downstairs? You're not going to get this up? No, why should we do that? All right, we'll do it. We'll do it. 
even though it's not our responsibility, is the, is the essential element of civilization. I'm going to do something to improve the world even though I don't have to. Even though it's not my problem, even though it's not my responsibility, I'm going to do it because I can see it needs to be done. And while I'm not happy about it, I'm not going to just leave it there. And so if you were to take all of these people and disperse them out into middle America, and they were surrounded by neighbors like this, like regular middle-class suburban neighborhoods, then what would happen? Well, they'd get a couch and they'd take their new couch in and they'd take their old couch out and they'd leave it on the curb. And it would stay there until the neighbors came by and said, you can't leave the couch on the curb like this. You have to call the, the, the pickup or the dump truck or you have to get rid of it. You can't just leave it there. And they would make it clear to them that they can't just leave it there. And over time, and it wouldn't take much time, they would begin to realize, okay, so it's something we can't do. Yeah, and you can't play your stereo at, at 400 decibels at 4 o'clock in the morning. That wasn't a problem before. Nobody complained. Nobody complained. They weren't banging on the walls. Yeah, but who cares? Well, you can't do that here. Okay, so you got to stop. And, and what happens is, it's like braces, you know? It's like orthodontics. You've got these crooked teeth that have grown without any kind of sense of... They've just grown askew. And slowly over time, orthodontics slowly takes snaggle teeth and, and moves them into position. And sometimes, by the way, if you've ever seen time-lapse of orthodontics, I've seen orthodontics that basically took teeth, separated them so that a, a tooth could then descend, then put them back, and then, you know, it's astonishing. But that's really what I'm talking about. A, an orthodontic kind of a situation where it's just constant, steady pressure to do things like civilized people. The Mormons are wizards at this. I saw this in 2011, 9, 2009. They took me around their welfare square and, and showed me how anybody that comes to them gets, you know, they get families that they stay with. And the families tell them how to buy rice and, and uncooked chicken. And then they teach them how to cook it and, and do a budget and all the rest of that stuff. So um, that's what I would do. But your idea is right. It, it, there should be a support group for there are some support groups for uh, for veterans, but there's that's a that's a profoundly good idea. It's a profoundly good idea. In fact, that's such a good idea. I'm gonna have to think about that and and see what I can do to promote that idea, because there are rehabilitated convicts, and we need to get them on board. Okay, here we go. Uh, Marusha Dark, who is a uh, trusted uh, fortuneite forumite. Hey, Bill, I was reading through your book, Silent America, in particular the essay on courage. I was rather struck by your conclusion that being poor takes a lot of courage. Hey, look at that. What a coincidence. Your argument makes sense and got me thinking, and I was wondering what you thought of this related idea that being alone, that being alone also takes a lot of courage, and largely for the same reasons as you describe, especially since human beings are social creatures. In both scenarios, it's a condition not a lot of people can bear to live with, let alone survive long enough to escape. Also, since I've been apparently called out for highlighting some of the darkest parts of humanity. Thanks for noticing, by the way. I figured I ought to demonstrate that I'm equally capable of finding the lightest parts of humanity as well, for as I often say, whoever would be the light of the world must learn to walk in darkness. That's a 
I've never heard that expression before, but that goes a long way to my position on profanity in terms of reaching people who, who, who are not going to get the message otherwise. I know a lot of us, yourself included, have been feeling kind of down lately, so here's something to hopefully lift everyone's spirits. You talked about Shakespeare the other week, but are you familiar with a genre of music called bardcore? No, I'm not. Basically taking pop, rock, and metal songs and applying a medieval twist to them, often with period instruments and sometimes lyric art and costumes as well. Here's one of my favorites that happened to drop the same day I did my Shakespeare stream. It's I Need a Hero, done by Whitney Avon and Hildegard uh, Van Blinguen. The animation is spectacular as well, and here's a link. I'm not going to play the whole thing, but I am going to play enough of it so I get a sense of what the heck is going on here. Sure. That's great. That's uh, great animation, too. Um, yeah, you know, the, the Internet, I, I, I can't. I can't tell you how many times I have had this thought. I'm sorry, let me just finish. Honestly, I move to tears and get shivers every time I watch it with not just how well it's made, but also how awestruck and hopeful it makes me feel inside. Truly a timeless song and one that I think captures what a lot of us are going through right now. Feel free to share it with the rest of the class if you're so inclined. It's only a few minutes long, few minutes long but well worth it. I will try to remember, and I'm remembering is not my strong suit when it comes to things like this. I remember the total number of casualties and you know, in, in some battle that was fought 400 years ago, but this kind of thing is hard for me. But I am going to uh, do this. And there's a there it is. Okay, I'll pull this down here, and I'll put that over there. And hopefully, I will remember to include that in the uh, comment section so we can get a link to that baby. It's not, it's got its own window now. That's a that's a step in the right direction. Uh, can I post the link there? Yes, I can. I will do it right now. Here it comes. Hold on. Post it in the comments section for those of you who are in the comments section. Control V. Badoom. There you go. Um, and uh, Marisha should put it in Discord, so that's that's all cool. Um, all right, so here we are with Henry Lumley again. This one looks interesting because it's got pictures. It's a long one, but it looks like it's going to, to bear... Uh, a fair amount um, of uh, fruit. Uh, just looking, just looking. Okay, um, so this is a long one, but uh, there's, there, it looks like there's something good here. Here we go, uh, from Henry Lumley again, um, who is a reputable forumite. Five-star format, I might point out. Better get on the ball there, Marsh. Uh, I didn't answer the part about loneliness. You're absolutely right, I did not. Uh, okay, so look, I said in Silent America, uh, in the essay called Courage, which was about the space shuttle, of all things. Uh, Bill's taking questions from the members-only forum uh, at belittle.com, and then he will take some questions if, if, he's, if it suits him uh, from the Facebook page. Uh, where he is uh, known to uh, appear from time to time, uh, I said that I said that poverty requires a lot of courage. Yeah, I'm just 
you know, it's been 15 years since I wrote that, maybe a little longer, and I'm just kind of rolling it around in my head here to see if I've changed my mind on this in any way, because I have gotten a little smarter since then. Uh, not much smarter because of, you know, asymptotes. Uh, I just made myself uh, smile. It, it, it does take courage. It takes more courage to be poor than it does to be not poor. Um, and the reason is because you are in a constant state of, you don't need to say a constant state of perpetual stress, but that would be redundant and also redundant. Um, but in, in poverty, you are never relaxed ever relaxed and everything is is imminent and catastrophic even if you had the skills to be able to do things like budget and you know buy rice buy you know buy a big bag of rice and all the rest of that stuff instead of going to you know to fast food all the time even if you had those skills when you're in real poverty, and I'm not making this up when I tell you I know what this is like. I've known what it's like for 20 years pretty much on and off, maybe longer. You, you not only don't have often the skills to, 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 to dig your way out of it, you don't have the capital. It's a strange thing to say, but really it's almost impossible when you hit that certain level of poverty to, since everything is on fire, it's almost impossible to put enough money aside to actually have the capital to get yourself out of the situation you're in. Um, it's, uh, it's really, really tough. And, and so you, you have to, you just have to face more fear on a daily basis. And it's not, it's not the kind of, you know, uh, choir of angels kind of courage. It's, it's, it's actually kind of almost like a, a, a and I'm, again, I'm not speaking about anybody else other than myself here. It's kind of an animal sort of a, of a, of a, just a, just a kind of an orneriness, like I've got to find some way to get through with this, you know, I have to find some way to do this. And the more desperate you are, the more desperate things you'll do to, to get through it. Um, cynical courage, yes, exactly. But nevertheless, it's much harder. And, and where you do start to get the silver trumpet kind of courage is when you find people who are in states of poverty and have been for a long time but managed to maintain their essential human nobility. When you find uh, a, a mother who's working two or three jobs so that her kids can, you know, eat and go to school, and, you know, that kind of, that kind of courage. Uh, that's amazing. We went back during Thanksgiving, um, Went back to where we grew up in Key Biscayne, Florida. That's where we lived when my parents got divorced. Uh, it's unrecognizable. Uh, when we lived there, it was a solidly middle-class neighborhood. Uh, it is now an extremely upscale neighborhood. But even when it was middle-class neighborhood, it was there were many other cheaper places to live. And we all four of us realized, I think probably for the first time ever, just how hard my mom had worked to keep us on Keep Us King, how many how many hours she had to put in, in order to keep us at least in the same general neighborhood, as we were, because she never took a penny in alimony, uh, and I'm not entirely sure whether she got child support or not, um, but in any event, 
she just worked like a slave in order to, to, to keep her kids not just alive, but relatively comfortable. That kind of courage, that kind of actual human nobility. So the question now is about, is about um, uh, uh, loneliness. It's a different kind of stress, but it is, you see, loneliness is like, lo really serious, chronic, lifelong loneliness often goes with extreme poverty. And the problem with that is that, is that loneliness is a courage destroyer. Loneliness is, is acid that eats away courage. It's, 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 it, it is an enormous contributor to the lack of perspective that you find yourself in when you're living in a situation of extreme poverty. I'll get to that in a minute, Mr. Uh, or Mr. and Mrs. Babyface Nelson, there's a big comment there, I'll read it in a second. Um, so what loneliness does is, when things are bad, it convinces you that they're always gonna be bad, that they'll never get any better, and that, and that this is it, and that you keep making the same mistakes again and again and again, and that's why you don't have a girlfriend or a boyfriend, that's why you don't have any money, that's why you don't have this, that's why your house is unmanageable, that's why you're constantly borrowing money or thinking the world's gonna come, all of it. When you're by yourself, um, you don't, uh, you don't have any perspective other than your own. And when you find yourself in the middle of a big old pit, it's very, very easy to feel like, well, okay, this is where I am and this is where I'm going to be. Um, the biggest asset that I've had in my life, and the reason that I'm not under a bridge someplace, uh, is because... I have always had good friends. This is where I'm a little different than my brother, uh, who's younger than me, who's who's really not had good friends. Um, good friends not only take care of you. Good friends know when to not take care of you. Good friends know when you gotta basically kick your friend out or along the road because if you don't, then he's just going to turn into a, you know. A, uh, 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 an organism, um, and and so so loneliness is is really really hard, uh, and as I approach my fifth wedding anniversary, I do not know how I was able to survive as long as I did. When Natasha was back in in Russia for nineteen days. After two days, I was, I was just like right back exactly where I was before, immediately. Um, it's, uh, it's amazing how much human contact means to people. Uh, Eric says it's the tragedy of being an introvert. It's true, um, but, but even if you're an introvert, you can make friends with other introverts. We were all, I grew up with a bunch of nerds, you know dorks we went out and made our own spy movies because we were dorks we got to be spies shoot guns drive fast cars and have fun um and and since we were hard workers we all became relatively successful uh, speaking for my own family without going into any details i have 
two younger brothers and a younger sister. And over the course of our adulthood, there has always been during that time at least one of us who was in real need and at least one of us who was doing relatively well. And the one that was doing relatively well was there for the other three. I cannot think of a time when that wasn't true. And that's, that's just, that, that's, I owe that to my mom and dad, that's just family. So, you know, this is one of the reasons why I'm so worried about things like the whole, why I'm so concerned when I go to a restaurant and see a bunch of, of kids at a table looking at their phones, you know, and not talking to each other. They're not building the bonds that are necessary to get you through life. It's, it's a real concern, real concern. And, and it's amazing how much just simple human physical contact is, you know, just how essential it is. When I first started taking, I think this might have been the first class I can ever remember taking in college. It was a sociology class, a famous experiment. I've forgotten the name of it now. But they, they took a monkey and separated it from its mother, and then they gave it, a, then they, they took a, a, a milk bottle, which the baby monkey is, is attracted to, and put it in a wire frame kind of a thing, just like chicken wire. And then they did it again and put it in chicken wire that was covered with terry cloth. And the baby monkey was so much more... Um, just so much better socialized just by the fact that there was something relatively soft to touch while it was drinking the milk. Uh, it was considerably less crazy than the, than the monkey that was getting fed by the chicken wire. And when you think about it, all of the problems that we have with our society is coming from people who are being fed from chicken wire instead of from people. That's why all of this government stuff fails because there's no personal connection. There's no actual charity. They're taking money from some people at gunpoint. They're giving it to other people without any concern for what they do with it, how they spend it, what's going to happen. No, boom, just from one to the other, bam. Uh, one of the books I read that had such a profound influence on me, I cannot recommend this book highly enough, is absolutely one of the best books I have ever read in my life. Uh, and if you want to understand what what's going on in our cities and 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 how bad things are and how to understand them rather than to just simply say, well, I should do something about it. The best is one of the best books I've ever read, and it's called The Coroner. Coroner, not The Coroner, The Coroner. Um, and I forget the name of the author. Uh, it's going to come up in a second because John got the name of the book uh, uh, on the comment stream a second or two after I said it. The Coroner, hard to believe now, is 30 years old, but I don't think things have changed much. Um, the corner is a story about a street corner in Baltimore. It is essentially, by the way, it is what The Wire was made from. The, the, the TV series The Wire was based on the corner. Actual characters. And in fact, the kid who's the actual kid who was in the book had a role in, in The Wire. Um, so uh, it's appalling. And it's, it's in David Simon. And it's inside this. This guy got inside. And I don't mean like inside his report. I mean, he, uh, he's invisible. In telling the story, he is invisible. 
And some of the, I mean, there's a there's a, a shooting gallery where people go to get high, and one woman has got has got such an infected arm from from the needles that her arm is gangrenous, and and people cannot she can't be in the room because the stink from her infected arm is so bad. Those kind of stories, those kind of stories, um, stories of you know walking into an abandoned building and pulling the electrical cable out of the walling and the aluminum fixtures uh, down so you can put it all on a big old wheelbarrow and take it to this place where they give you four and a half dollars for it and you're you know you're practically halfway to a to a speedball and all of the business about the actual selling of drugs and how and and especially how how th this is the essence of addiction because he talks to these people who are drug addicts and every single one of them are chasing not a high, they're chasing the first high. It's never the same, it's never as good. Oh, the drugs are cut or whatever, they're just chasing something that gets further away from them the faster they run. When you realize how hopeless it is and how, and how you're essentially, you read the corner and you realize, look, you're either a drug dealer or you're a drug addict. Those are your two choices. You know, that's pretty much it. You're either a drug dealer or you're a drug addict. That's that's pretty much it. And John Pershing points out one point he makes is how hard addicts work, always hustling for the next hit. This goes a little bit to what I was saying in in, in um, courage about how it requires courage to be poor. It is it is a full time job trying to hustle money. To get your next hit, and that's all that matters. And the reason I got on this was because we were talking about the government handing out money and and in the corner and again this is 30 years old now but in the in the corner drug sales go like this the first of the month they're skyrocketing and by the time you get to the fourth week the beginning of the fourth week there's almost no drug sales at all because everybody takes their their welfare checks and spends it on drugs immediately because that check comes once a month and and you just chart the, the the decrease of drug sales on a monthly basis. It doesn't matter whether it's winter or summer. Just spike at the beginning, and then you know the first week or two you're just golden, and then it starts to fall off. By the time you get to the last week, nobody's got any money, which means you have to steal the money because the addiction doesn't go away. And people have described it as like having a snake in your blood, and it's not it's not fun. That I have not got any experience with, but by God, um, it's uh, it's tough. Um, so let me uh, back up here because there's something I didn't I didn't get. Hang one second. Just give me one second. I don't want to read this out loud just yet. I certainly do want to read this. So here in the comments section uh, and write this down. Uh, hang on a second, babyface. I'm going to copy this. I'm going to need to copy this because if I don't, it's going to scroll away. Hang on a second. Hang on. Nobody move. Pretend you're watching a show that's interesting.
let's try this. Sorry. All right, there we go. So here's um here's this uh, comment in the comment section um, from a, a character uh, named Babyface Nelson Twelve, and I'm going to go out on a limb here and suggest that's probably not his actual name. Uh, I'm fighting the battle out of poverty now. I went from $23,000 a year with three kids and my wife to $60,000 by cleaning buildings independently. I now have five good contracts and I do the labor for all of them. My next contract, I'll be able to pay someone else to do it, and that's where things are going to really take off for you, my man. Um, and eventually work my way out to where I'm just managing the company. Armored cleaning solutions for anyone who needs a new, dedicated, damn good crew to clean their office building. They're in Dallas, Fort Worth, and their phone number is 469-247-4321. It goes on to say, I should also mention I've been the sole provider since I've been married. My wife is stuck next to me and homeschools the kids since the very beginning. She's damn good looking too. I don't doubt that. Uh, and he's also an Iraq vet. So why does none of this surprise me? this is the world I want to live in, you know? I want, I want to live in this guy's world. I want to live in this world. This, this country used to be pretty much universally that world. Now it's getting rarer and rarer, which means that if you just saw this and you're in the Dallas area, you need to get in touch with, uh, with um, which I will read again. You need to get in touch with Armored Cleaning Solutions uh, in Dallas, and it's 469-247-4321 because it's run by a vet and he is not taking uh, benefits. He's working his way out of um, poverty. He's got kids. He's taking care of his kids, taking care of his wife. He's being a man. He's defended this country. He's done everything that men are supposed to do. And and you, he needs to be rewarded for that. Not rewarded for doing the right thing because you shouldn't get a cookie because you didn't kill anybody that day, but rewarded for for resisting the temptation yeah there's the um and there's the url and i'll and i'll and i'll put that on the uh on below the thing too uh, and you go over here okay because he deserves to be rewarded for resisting the temptation um and the temptation is overwhelming he doesn't have to do this you know he doesn't have to work five contracts and go out there and do all this stuff and not get to see his wife and family and, and work like an animal. He doesn't have to do all that. You can just sit back and, and, and apply for benefits. And, and if you're taking some benefits, that's what benefits are for. That's, that's what the safety net is. I have no problem whatsoever with welfare for people who need it as long as there is a way to get them out of trouble. I have no problem with the safety net. It's a safety hammock that I that I think is is a problem, and not just because of what it costs, because of what it does to the people that are in the hammock. That's why it's got to go. Um, and and this is um, this is really what we um, what we need to be doing. Um, and by the way, uh, babyface, and I suspect the people you ran into in Iraq didn't call you that. Uh, yeah, and Bart's treasures in California be breaking the law because he's an independent contractor. California is evil. It's evil and it's stupid and it's lazy. It's the trifecta of awful. 
we wouldn't have a supply chain problem if California wasn't California. There's all this, there's, there's con the containers that are waiting in Long Beach now, it's not an exaggeration, they did the math on this. There are enough containers waiting in Long Beach Harbor now, so that if you line them up end to end, they would go from Long Beach to Canada. That's how many are there, and they're not allowed to take them out because California said it has to be union drivers, so guys like Dave Big Booty apparently can't get in there and solve the problem, which is what guys like Dave Big Booty as a truck driver do. They solve the problems. They keep things moving, but they've been prevented from going and fixing this problem because of the government. Because of the government, because of the government, because of the government, because of the government. Okay. Here's the thing, though, um, uh, uh, Mr. Nelson. Um, uh, Oh, okay. So we got a different URL. Uh, give me the give me the, the 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 Texas one because the one in Oregon. I'm not saying it's doomed. I'm just saying. You know, um, they called me Smitty. So I'm going to assume your last name is. Uh, you must be um, obviously if your nickname is Smitty, you must be Mr. John Smitty. Uh, all right. Anyway, while we argue about whether this is the right URL or not, um, I had an experience. I've talked about it a couple times before. It's been a while. After a lifetime of living by myself and cleaning up my apartment on a regular basis, the regular basis being whenever anybody was coming over, but generally living like a, like a lifelong bachelor, which is like, like any other farm animal. I finally realized that I'm just not built to clean up the apartment. I'm just not. And all the years I spent, well, you should do it. And people, if you just do a little bit a day, it's not a big deal. Yes, 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 I will do it, I'll do it. No, I didn't do it. I'm not gonna get to it. And then I realized, ding, and I never will. That's when I realized one of the big secrets of life. I will never do this. I will beat myself up over not doing it, but I will never do it ever because I'm just not built that way. Fortunately, thanks to the generosity and kindness of, of uh, the members of BillWhittle.com, I was able to afford to have a, a, a maid service come in once every two weeks, and that basically cut most of the sludge. Now, it was, a, it was an agency, it was a cleaning agency, and we had a couple different people come in, and some of them were all right, but one person came in named Eileen, and she was great, and I, and I kept asking for Eileen, and Eileen came and cleaned my apartment once every two weeks for almost a year. Suddenly, it's whatever time it was, Wednesday, on uh, second Wednesday, and no Eileen. So I'm certainly nice enough to the person come in, and I call and say, what happened with Eileen? And it turns out Eileen's not working for them anymore. Ah, oh, son of a bee. I hope she's all right. She was not only a great job, that's why I liked her. She was a nice person, honest, you know. I, I, I didn't do this on purpose, but I had a... I had a like a glass thing full of dollar bills just because I thought it was interesting from a artistic point of view. And even when you're leaving money out on the table, nope, perfectly honest. So, um, so Eileen's gone for a month. And after a month, I decided to check my uh, snail mail because that's about how often as I check my mail in the mailbox. And what I found was a handwritten letter from Eileen, which had been in there for about three weeks. And it said, uh, Dear Miss Whittle, uh, I have decided to uh, leave the, um, the uh, cleaning agency uh, because I'm, I'm going to start my own cleaning business. And I was wondering if you would like to hire me to do what I've been doing for you, but now 
that I'm, I'm under my own uh, window here. So I got on the email and just immediately, this is awesome. Come on back. So that was 2012, 13, 14. Now she and her husband, I don't know how many people she's employing. It's got to be 20. And, and once you get out of having to do the work and you're supervising other people, then a miracle occurs. Uh, and, and this woman was, I'm not saying it's the toughest job in, in the world, but in terms of prestige, it's pretty close to the bottom. Being a housekeeper, um, a, a woman of, of Mexican descent here in this country legally with her family, working her butt off, doing a great job, char charging a, a, a reasonable fee, and now she's going to work three times harder so that she can get out of this. Well, not only did I hire her, I said, this is awesome, and I'm going to send you everybody I know, which I did. Um, so, so now she is owner of a business that's really doing well, despite the fact that the government's doing everything they can to put everybody out of business. And I have continued to use her. Her husband, because of, because of her willingness to take the leap, and then, and then instead of doing three jobs a day, she can do 20 jobs a day because she's not having to do all of them. She is hiring people who didn't have a job otherwise, and they're working the same job that she used to, she, so she knows what's that all about, and, and those are the people we pay now. These are the people that come to the house. Natasha keeps such a clean house, it's not even really necessary anymore, but once a month or something like that. Um, so she's hiring people, and because of this, her husband was then able to quit his job in construction and now he is part of the same business as a handyman and he goes out and he mounts televisions on walls and if you got a problem with this or a problem with that he will just come on out and do it I don't know if you can see this you probably can uh, you see this yeah it's not enough light hang on I'll get some light now that I had to talk about it now the things I had to do to these people Right, so look at this. When I had this office built, I had a riser. That's a riser. Okay. I had a riser because I needed, I, because I was an idiot, and I mounted the TV too high, and I needed to have something to put the chair on. You can see the desk is on apple carts, apple crates now. But... I had to get a riser. So the guy who did all of this groovy stuff in the office, by the way, there are the Sid Mead paintings. Right? I get to look at all the time. The famous Sid Mead paintings and, and they got all kinds of things going on here. Um, so they built this riser. The guy did it. He built it. And I said I needed it strong enough. And by the way, here's something else he did. I'm on a riser right now. I like risers. Uh, let's see if I can see this. I know I'm making people seasick. See, I'm on a riser. Don't pay, pay no attention to the peanut crumbs. See this thing here? Ah, come on. This thing? This riser is a couple feet above, not a couple feet, it's about a, eight inches above the floor. And this thing is designed here so that I don't do this on a daily basis. Watch carefully. This is science at work. Here's my chair. Here's the riser. Oh, 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 paying attention, Bill. Nope, not paying attention at all. Oh. Oh. Oh, I gotta get lower. Oh. 
okay, here's Bill, he's Bill, oh yeah, I'm an email, boom. He doesn't go off the edge. He's saved by the riser. Why am I bringing all this up? Well, mostly because I'm an idiot. But another reason is because um, this riser that this guy built is so overbuilt, I'm pretty sure it weighs 800 pounds. Now, I'm not exaggerating. I, I cannot lift this thing, and I'm a manly he-man of a guy. I can barely get a handcart wedged under there, and using all of the leverage, just barely can I get this thing up. He, he must have put two-by-fours every three inches. It weighs a ton. And I am going to have Eileen's husband come over and cut it into pieces for me. I could probably do it. And chances are 50-50, I'd still have all my fingers. But he can come in and do it, do it right. And I'd rather pay him because he's a good man and they've all earned it. Instead of one gigantic 800-pound piece of things, I'm not going to throw it away. I'm going to use it to build stairs for the motion capture. Somebody asked me earlier in the comment section whether the new motion capture suit is in. It's not, not yet, but it will be soon. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I, uh, uh, Bart says I like the lighted office better. I kind of do too, actually. It's kind of a little less head in the void kind of thing. So anyway, uh, yeah, there's the Big Bat Problems helmet. And there's a Enterprise there, and there's all kinds of things from people who have sent them in. There's a Captain Kirk's chair that was sent to me, all kinds of groovy stuff. And on the left, uh, my left, right, there you can see the perception neuron suit which looks good but it's just it's just tough uh anyway uh so um that's that did we get a uh, did we um i'm sorry i was wandering around the neighborhood uh did we get a a a, a url and an url uh or is the one that we have that we were given armored cleaningsolutions.com is that is that good so i want to get that right all right um it's getting late i'm getting a little uh throat a little little throaty but we can make sure we didn't forget anybody okay let me deal with uh let me deal with two others because the other ones are are small and then I'm going to do the big one and then I'm going to call it a night and and Facebook unfortunately is uh, is uh, off the table it's my party and I'll lie if I want to uh, so here we go uh, from furball uh, Bill uh, regarding Steve Young's question above have you watched White Christmas with Natasha Christmas is on a Saturday this year how about the Wednesday before you do a stratosphere lounge on Christmas movies nice idea it's a very good idea some suggestions it's a wonderful life that's really the only Christian uh, Christmas movie <laughs> Whittleton says uh, by the way uh, that a new 40k trailer just dropped this week and the Emperor protects the Emperor does protect the Emperor beloved by all if you could throw a link in there I'll copy that down because I'm copying things Today is my copy episode my cut-and-paste episode um, all right, uh, it's a wonderful life. The bishop's life, uh, the bishop's wife, a Muppets Christmas Carol, White Christmas Prancer, a Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street, and a Christmas Story. Of those, it's a wonderful life and a Christmas story absolutely will be done. Marcia Dark in the comment section said, 
Home Alone, you need to go to YouTube and you need to look and you need to search for something called Home Alone with Blood, where they take all of the things that happen in Home Alone and they apply a realistic outcome to things like having an iron dropped on your face or a giant steel pipe smash into your nose. It's exceedingly gory, extremely gory, and it's really quite fun. Um, it's uh, Home Alone with Blood. Uh, I cannot get through It's a Wonderful Life without crying. I, I, every single time I've seen it, I've seen it a bunch of times. I just can't get, I just can't get through it. When we flew to Florida, A Christmas Story was playing on the seat television of the person just directly and off to my right in front of me. So I got to watch it again, although I didn't get to listen to it again. Um, uh, I love A Christmas Story. I love it. I love, love, love that movie. Um, Macaulay Culkin throwing a pink can at Rich Evans on Red Letter Media. Did, did he actually do that? Um, and then, of course, the endless debate is is um, is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Of course, it is. Anybody who says otherwise is a communist. That's obviously a Christmas movie. Um, anyway, uh, Home Alone with Blood will will make you never look at Home Alone the same way again. Um, okay, uh, so let's have a look. Uh, so yes, we will do that. We will watch some Christmas movies and and. Um, Fingers across it. Uh, our anniversary is on the 31st of December. And on the 29th of December, uh, Natasha has her N-400 interview. And I am told by our immigration attorney that things have uh, changed a little bit, that should she pass this examination, and I think her chances are rather good, uh, they will do the swearing in within an hour. Now, part of that sucks. I said, will I be able to be there? And she said, probably not on account of, you know, the Victrola. And I really, really wanted to be there for the swearing-in ceremony. However, given the situation in the world today, I don't want it so much that I want to postpone the ceremony and the certificate. So if they do it the same day and she passes the exam she will come out of that building a u.s citizen on december 29th uh, and if i can be there for the swearing-in ceremony i'd like to see it if i cannot be there for the swearing-in ceremony then i will greet her as she comes out of the building and i'll say hello to all the other new citizens as well uh, so um, that's going to be a busy end of the year for us my uh, nephew's coming out for christmas who i spent some time with in florida named ashton great kid uh, i'll see if we can get him on the show He's a really super kid. My brother Steve said something about that boy. Uh, he, Ashton, um, Ashton uh, had, had, some, had some pretty rocky years growing up as a kid, but he is not only the nicest kid I ever met, he's, he's just really hard. He's just a good, smart, sweet, good-looking kid. And I had a chance to talk to Steve about him, uh, when I was down there for Thanksgiving, I said, man, I, I don't know how you did this. And he said something I never forgot. He said that Ashton came in the, into the world pre-briefed by God. Isn't that cool? Pre-briefed by God. That's exactly right. All right, so Ted Wendebo, and then we're going to do the big question, then we're going to call it a night. Uh, 
Is he the one I took the snow? Yes, he is. He's the one I took the snow. He's much bigger now, much bigger, but still pretty cool. And and the thing I like most about Ashton is that uh, as a young uh, member of the Little Clan, as a uh, as a fledgling, as a as a, a whelp, he is well along on the road uh, to being able to handle nonstop uh, insult generation, because that's how we roll in this family. Uh, and he's not quite given as good as he takes because I can give pretty good, but he rolls with the punches and he can get some zingers back. Uh, we, it's just endless, endless. He challenged me to a game of pool. He's the worst pool player I ever saw in my life. He came back and so who won? I was like, look at the kid. Look at the look at the look at the dead in his eyes. All the life's gone out of him. I, 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 I mopped the floor with him. I just wiped him out. Look at him. He's barely alive. He's not even human anymore. I broke him. I broke him in there. I broke him on the pool table. He'll never be the same. And it serves him right for challenging me because that, that alone was, you know, insane. And then he, then he comes back. It, yes, if... Let me see when he's here. I had planned to get him on the Stratosphere Lounge, but before I promise anything, he's coming out for five days, and let me see if he's here for one of those five days. Ooh. Now, wait. I think he comes in on the 22nd. Thursday night's the 23rd. Friday night is Christmas Eve. We will do a Christmas special, and, and we will... Um, and we'll have Ashy here, and... Uh, and maybe Ashy and Natashi. Uh, and um, yeah, we'll do a holiday special. That'll be fun. We'll all put on Santa Claus hats. I love it. It's a grand idea. Um, we'll do it. Uh, why not? So uh, here we go. Um, one more question, then the big question. Uh, this is from Ted Wendelbo. Hey, Ted. Hypothetical. Okay, here's the hypothetical. What's the practical? Hypothetical. The January 6th rioters execute every member of Congress. By the way, I didn't get the link. If there's such a link for the for the uh, thingamajiggy for 40K, uh, if you have it, I'll try and catch it again. Um, hypothetical, the January 6th rioters execute every member of Congress and sit in their seats and start making laws. Does this constitute a takeover of the government or a coup? It's not extremely dishonest to call the events of January 6th an so is it not extremely dishonest to call the events of January 6th an attempted coup or takeover? Absolutely right. Absolutely right. How can you call it that when all they really did was go in there to take the chairs? They didn't go in there to take the chairs and make laws. They went in there to take, a, to take the chairs. Now, I did it again. Hang on a second. All right. Oh, 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 this looks great. Are they Smurfs? Looks like Smurfs. I love the Smurfs, but yep, they're Smurfs. Wow, this is awesome. I can't wait to watch it. I have, I've given serious thought to doing 40K animation because I can, and I, and I would do uh, good ones, but that looks great. Um, anyway, back to the comment section here, which I closed by accident because I'm not so smart, really. Uh, yeah, it looks great. I'm looking forward to it. Um... So yes, you're absolutely right, um, Ted. Now I have heard from somebody, uh, and I don't remember who, might have been a lawmaker, but but now now it's really getting to be folks. Um, 
it, it's starting to reach the point where it's almost unbelievable. And it really is getting to be musket and, and pitchfork and torches time. Of the January 6th people that are being held in this dungeon for a year now almost, they're not be, they, they don't have access to the, to the bathroom uh, as much as they would like. One guy's got an arm that is turning black because he can't get medical care for it. They are, they are, they are intentionally torturing these people, and I think that's a pretty fair use of the word. They left to have no problem at all torturing American citizens, but, is, but, but mass murdering uh, Islamic terrorists, those people, of course, have to be treated with the utmost respect and be given their own chefs and their own MRIs and all the rest of this stuff. Um, they, 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 are, they are keeping these people in barbaric conditions, and, and it defies imagination. And what they're doing is very clear. They are continuing to apply endless pressure to these people. Yeah, exactly, Tim. They're, they're continuing to apply pressure to these people. And what they're basically saying is, you don't have to go to jail. We just want you to admit that you're guilty of these charges of insurrection. And then you get a suspended sentence or whatever. And they're, and they're refusing. And God bless them. They're freaking patriots. Because they could sign their way out of this thing a couple hours after they were arrested. All they want is for them to is for them to admit that yes we were here to overthrow the government on Trump's orders. Sign that paper and you can go free. And they're not doing it. God bless them. Um, but man, there's something wrong, 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 wrong in this country. I just heard yesterday, for the first time ever, because there are some things that I miss. I just heard yesterday of um, of this. What is it? Is it called uh, asset asset forfeiture? Some guys. They're proud of this. Some dog found a woman or something at an airport, and she had $100,000 cash in the bag, and they took her money. And, and I'm sitting here reading the story, and I'm going down through the story, and I'm trying to think, okay, well, where, what, 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 what crime did she commit? Didn't commit a crime. It was her money. She wasn't stealing. She wasn't doing anything with drugs. She was taking money, civil asset forfeiture. She was moving more than $10,000, and somebody found them, so they just stole it. And they're proud of it. They're proud of it. They're just proud of it. Civil asset forfeiture. There's stories about a guy who had to, who, who, who was basically working his tail off, and he, and he took like $12,000 or something, crossed the state line to buy a used car in cash, and he got pulled over, and they found the money, and they just took it. They took it. Yeah, John Pershing says, prove you didn't get this through drugs. Well, yes, Iowa Hawk got it absolutely right. Uh, so the Dallas police, Dallas, by the way, Dallas police, post a picture of this of this dog and, uh, you know, police dog. And here's all these stacks of, of money and saying that the dog caught somebody carrying $100,000 in the airport. And Iowa Hawk, who's, the, who's the, the greatest mind on the Internet, and I don't mean that with any hesitation whatsoever, uh, said, uh, tweeted back, uh, congratulations on your robbery, I guess. Um, and so... How does this happen? It happens because the police keep the money, and that allows them to buy up-armored um, combat vehicles that they can use against citizens. Something really, 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 really wrong going on here, and something that I absolutely think is the most disturbing thing out there by a big margin. I can take all of it, all of it, but the the thing that I am just having so much trouble with is the corruption of law enforcement and the military. I, I just, I, I just, I can't, I, I can't believe it. I cannot believe it. Yeah, Bart's 
treasures is elaborating. He says, all they have to do is they say they think that the cash is involved in the crime, and then they take your money. And if you sue them and you can prove that it wasn't from drug deal, then maybe you get the money back, maybe not, maybe you get some of it back, who knows. There's a bill to abolish asset forfeiture. It will not pass, I'm sure, but when when we get this back, we gotta get this stuff done in three months, and we gotta do all of it, all of it. It's gotta be just absolutely amazing. You know, Dave Big Booty says, remember our, our haiku episode? Yes, we did something like uh, seven word questions, six word questions, five, four, three, two, one word questions, that kind of thing. Uh, and Dave Big Booty said, what if the police who have long since lost the left lose the right as well? Yes, and furball, it's it, it the other point. Now, now, if you're not up on this, and I wasn't until two days ago, you might want to sit down for this. The police confiscate more money that is legally owned by the people that has been compensated from, that amount of money is greater than all of the money that is actually stolen in the country in any given year. In other words, the police are illegally stealing money that exceeds the amount of money that is, that, that is caused by actual crime. Somewhere on Reddit, I saw the story of a guy, um, uh, a black man who is back in court. They said he's back in court, and here's why he's back in court. He was uh, he was unjustly arrested, did a, a fair amount of time in jail, but now he's back in court to testify, and a number of the police officers involved in the case are now in jail, and it might have been the district attorney, I think it was, who put him in jail illegally, went on the run, and when they realized they were going to catch him, he killed himself because he didn't want to go to jail for what he did to this guy. Um, Mercia Dark says, a cop actually stole my car and ruined my life for the next over 10 years over some goddamn paperwork. Gave me PTSD and recurring nightmares for years. How do they steal your car for paperwork? You know, I don't want to live here anymore. I want, I want to live where I grew up. And I don't care how big that place is. I don't care if it's a state. I don't even really care if it's a county or even a city. I just want to go live with people where, where things make sense and the law means something. And if it has to be in Antarctica, then that's where we'll go. Um, because I, can't, I, I cannot process any more of this kind of garbage. I just can't. I can't. It's, 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 it's mind-boggling. And who do we have to blame for this except for our, our own selves? As citizens, we've been too nice, says uh, B-Fire, who we don't get to see too much of. Hi, B-Fire. You know, we've not only been too nice, we've been... You know, there comes a point when, when you become so compliant and complacent that you are become an accessory in the in your own crime, the crime against you. You become an accessory. It's like a bank closing at nighttime and leaving all the money in sacks outside the door, still on the bank property, and just basically saying, yeah, we're just going to leave it outside. You're actually almost begging people to steal the money in that case. Um, ah. Scorch191 says, my mother had a cop framer for having drugs, and he wanted her to bribe him. 
Eric wants to know how long do we have to give it to them in California for them to friggin' get it. They will not. They will not get it in California. California is going to have to be. A, is going to have to collapse. It's not going to. It's not. There's not going to be a moment when people wake up. It's. It's going. There's going to be. There will be a moment when it simply collapses, and that's when things will change. But not until then. My hope is that is that California becomes such a disaster that it prevents the catastrophe that's happening to the country. Um, so, uh, yeah, it was bullshit. Sorry for the language. You don't have to apologize for that language. It's exactly what it is. There's no other word for it. What is going on? Yes, that is a Gorn back there. Somebody wants to know if that is a Gorn back there. And on the other wall, that's not visible. It might be visible. You can just kind of see it through the gym, which is an extremely expensive uh, coat hanger I have. You might see through that little crack in the gym there. That's James T. Kirk, and he is putting on the, um, he, is, he is assembling the, um, he's assembling the bamboo cannon. And he's looking across the room at the Gorn who's advancing on him with a knife. See, I got this whole thing all sorted right out. It's actually pretty cool here. All right, so anyway, let's do this one big question because it, it, it involves a person who's near and dear to all of our hearts. Uh, and I'm talking, of course, about Mr. Science. Um, I kind of like the bright lights, too, but I'll tell you what, I'm squinting a lot, so I'm going to put on my emergency spectacles, and I will now uh, make a spectacle of myself. So uh, and now you can see your own reflection. This is like this is what I see all the time. If I get these lights just right, kind of just... All right. This is from Henry Lumley, who is a reputable forumite. Keeps wanting to say formulate. Hey, Bill, you may want to take a look at these stories. Fauci's Dr. Mengele experiments did not start with beagles. I've heard this. From the 80s to the mid-2000s, the National Institute of Health under Fauci sponsored and committed fatal experiments on orphans from New York State, mostly black orphans. The NIH purposely used orphans and controlled several foster homes to funnel guardian-less children into the project they were used without their consent and without the consent of any of their closest family. To be honest, I was unable to finish reading about this project. It was just awful. And of course, no medical experiments on children would be complete without a mass grave to cover up the whole thing. I included a picture below of the memorial that exists for these children. The research was conducted in at least seven states, Illinois, Louisiana, Maryland, New York, North Carolina, Colorado, and Texas. It involved more than four dozen different studies. The foster children ranged from infants to late teens, according to interviews and government records. Several studies that had enlisted foster children reported patients suffering side effects such as rashes, vomiting, and sharp drops in infection-fighting blood cells as they tested antiretroviral drugs to suppress AIDS and other medicines to treat secondary functions. In one study, researchers reported a disturbing higher death rate among children who took higher doses of a drug. That study was unable to determine a safe and effective dosage. Well, they were unable to determine a safe and effective dosage, obviously, because they hadn't killed enough children yet. Once you kill enough children, then you can get that kind of data. Um, they reported that 25 children died during the drug studies, that an additional 55 children died the following studies following the studies in foster care, uh, presumably prematurely, obviously. And according to Tim Ross, director of the Child Welfare Program at Vera as of 2009, 29% of the remaining 417 children who were used in drug studies had died out of a total of 532 children that are admitted to have been used. 29% died since 2001. 
I know this sounds like the normal Fauci bashing, but I've brought receipts. Interestingly, the corporate media covered this story in the early 2000s, and now they're moving hard to cover up and fact check this project anyway. And here are a whole bunch of links, which means that uh, I am going to save this page right here, and I am going to read this stuff, and I am going to do whatever I can about it. Um, listen, th this is not speculation on my part. Marisha Dark, MAGA and BLM Unite? Yes, I'd be 100% down with that. I would be the guy to walk across to Black Lives Matter and, and shake some hands and say, here's some things we can agree on. Um, I would be I would be more than happy to be the guy to, to make that walk. And I, they don't have to meet me halfway. I'll, I'll walk all the way over there. Um, Fauci did this to these kids. This is at least as bad as the Tuskegee experiments, which are rightfully held up to be one of the most awful things that this country has done. And furthermore, Fauci has funneled the money to the Chinese that created this worldwide pandemic that's killed millions and millions of people. He did it against the law. He did it under the table. He did it for financial gain, but mostly he did it for pride, as Shelby AC points out, just as I say it. Of all the things you need to know about Fauci, I saw during the documentary on Fauci, which I didn't see, the making of, there's a picture of Fauci in his office and he's working very very carefully. He's hard at work trying to figure out the mysteries of the universe so that he can save humanity. And on the wall is a gigantic, gigantic, huge painting. And it's a painting of himself. Now, here in this building, I have a lot of artwork on the wall. I got one, two, three James T. Kirks. I got a Dave Bowman. I got a bunch of other stuff. I've got a couple of science fiction things here. And right around this corner, I've got this absolutely life-size, wonderful cartoon space girl who's pointing a ray gun at the door. Uh, none of this, I don't see anything in this office that has my picture on it or my name on it for that matter. Uh, a similar case, I don't mean to compare the two, I'm just, first thing that came to mind is uh, on Star Citizen, the game that uh, has raised $400 million, has been in development for 10 years and which becomes more unplayable with every month. Uh, the website for that is Robert Space Industries. It's not StarCitizen.com, it's RobertSpaceIndustries.com because the game was designed by Chris Roberts and I find that to be an indication of where the problems lie with the development in Star Citizen. Uh, but in any event, yes, Astro Girl. Astro Girl rocks. It's my favorite piece of artwork in the whole wide world. It's a bit like Natasha, I always thought. Um, no, I'm not the Gorn. Tim, what a horrible thing to say to a man. I'm the guy who goes and finds the sulfur and the charcoal and the saltpeter and assembles the bamboo cannon that shoots diamonds and kills the gore. Um, is your life-size portrait wearing a fez at home? You got me ringing. You got me. Actually, I don't normally wear the Fez. The only time I wear the Fez and the burgundy smoking jacket is when I'm in my stealth Zeppelin flying over Los Angeles and shouting down at the people below out of a out of a brass uh, megaphone. Um, all right. I'm going to look into this. They will not 
They will not be able to get away with this forever. I'm not saying they're not getting away with it now. And I'm not even saying that there's going to be justice served on this guy because it may take longer than his lifespan. But it will eventually get out. It will get out. Uh, when it became clear that the Nazis were going to lose the war uh, after Stalingrad, uh, Himmler uh, went right back to all of the death camps that he just set up just a couple months earlier. Most people don't realize that, with the exception of Auschwitz, which was one of six death camps, um, most of those were only in operation for about a year. I thought they were there for most of the war, but they were there for about a year, and they were shut down by, by 1944. Treblinka, Belzec, Sobor were closed. Kelmo, uh, I'm missing one. Um, um, Dujanic, something like that, I think so. Anyway, they went back to the death camps, and all of the bodies that they'd put into a pit, they basically said, now you got to get these prisoners who get to live for another week or so, to go dig up the rotting bodies, dig them up with an excavator, and then you got to take them over and burn them. And then you have to take the ashes, and you have to spread the ashes around because we don't want anybody to know what we did here. Um, and guess what, Heinrich? Uh, we found out what you did there. We found out. Dachau was not a death camp. Dachau, I'm not saying people didn't die at Dachau. Dachau was a concentration camp. Um, there were concentration camps. There were labor, virtually all of them were labor camps. There were only six camps that were designed specifically to, well, fewer than that. Auschwitz was a labor camp and a death camp. Uh, Auschwitz consisted of, um, of Auschwitz I, Auschwitz II. Um, uh, so they, uh, I've forgotten the name of the, of the part of Auschwitz that was the actual death camp. Uh, of all, uh, let me just, this is a subject I want to spend some time on. I'm not going to do it tonight. Um, using whatever means I can, either either live action or CGI or whatever, there are two stories that I want to tell, uh, that, I, that I have to tell, and I will tell if I live long enough, I will do it. One of them is the story of Taffy 3. I, I'm, I'm going to tell that story dramatically. I don't want to do it like a documentary. I want to just tell the story. And the other story I want to tell, and I feel like I have to tell, is the story of Treblinka. I am Kelmo, Belzec, Sobibor, Treblinka, Majanic, and Auschwitz-Birkenau. That's the word I was looking for. So I got them right. One, two, three, four, five, six. Yes, I got them right from memory. Thank God for me. And the reason I say thank God for me is because somebody needs to tell this story. Let me tell you what's fascinating about Treblinka. Treblinka was second to Auschwitz, and a close second. Auschwitz was 1.1, 1.2 million people, something like that. Treblinka was somewhere in the neighborhood of 850,000, 900,000 people murdered in Treblinka. The thing about Treblinka that is so astonishing is when you look at Auschwitz and you see pictures of Auschwitz from the air, Auschwitz looks like a gigantic factory for murdering people. Treblinka is the size of a freeway exchange. If you think about arrest, if you think about a freeway exit on, let's say, I-10 in Texas, and you think about the space that it takes for the two clover leaves and a couple of gas stations, I'm not talking about a big thing, just a, just a, just an exit, little thing like that. That's how big Treblinka was. They killed almost a million people in that in that space, and they did it in groups of 1,500 as a train came in. It's called a transport, and on some days. 
they would do three transports. On busy days, they would do four. On real busy days, they would do five. Uh, and, and I am going to tell the story, and I am going to show what it looks like to get off of one of those trains, to first of all be in the train, get off of one of those trains. I have studied the layout of Treblinka so well that I could build that thing, I could build the camp right now from memory, absolutely, could, could do it without question. Um, the horror of Treblinka is not, obviously, it's, it, it's, not, it's not just that nearly a million people were murdered there. The horror of it is how fast and how hard they had to work on a daily basis in order to murder that many people. Uh, tell me about this wizard. Uh, don't forget the framing on it. Here in Germany, this is used as an anti-conservative example. Uh, what is? Are they trying to say that conservatives, that the Nazis were conservatives? Is that is that it? So I'm certainly not. I'm not only am I not denying the Holocaust. I'm going to show people what it actually consisted of. Um, I'll wait for the for the reply. Okay. Well. Listen, uh, this whole right-left-wing divide doesn't make any sense in this country. It actually belongs to European politics, mostly German and Austrian politics. The left-wing socialists on one side, right-wing socialists on the other. Uh, the Nazis were national socialists. You can't, and I don't have to tell this to you, Wazer, because you're German, but you cannot spell the word Nazi, which is an acronym. You can't spell Nazi without National Workers' Party. Um, so... Hitler wasn't to say he was a right winger. He was a right winger in in the in, inside the capsule of European politics in the mid twentieth century. But he wasn't a right winger in the way the conservatives are. And I want to do a giant billboard about this, by the way. And here you go. Here's what it looks like: supports gun control, yes. Nazis, communists, yes. Democrats, yes. Conservatives, no. Supports a big state, Nazis, yes. Democrats, yes. Communists, yes. Conservatives, no supports the government being involved in every aspect of your life. Nazis, yes. Communists, yes. Democrats, yes. Conservatives, no. And just do it. And and just put it to bed. Anyway, back to, back to, and when people say, oh, well, he wasn't really a socialist. He was just saying that to fool the people. Then I say, okay, so you're saying that this evil man named himself a socialist to get stupid people to believe that he really was about socialist. Is that what you're saying? Peterson is a comment section now is discussing whether uh, Jordan Peterson and I admire quite a bit, uh, said that almost any of us could have been a guard at a concentration camp. That is a tautological argument, Jordan. Um, American, the only way that Americans could have been concentration camp guards would have been if they were raised in Germany. And since we weren't, we weren't. If you're telling me that American citizens could be concentration camp guards, I would have made a, I would have had a bigger argument two years ago, but even today, uh, I, 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 he said, don't be so sure you wouldn't be one. 
This is the whole thing about that free will argument, you know, with the, the experiment where they where they um, gave people the power to administer electric charge to people. That's famous experiment where they the subjects who were being tested were the ones who were administering the charge. Somebody said, give them a shock, give them a bigger shock, give them a bigger shock, shock. And you heard people screaming and they kept doing it because they were told to. But another one is where they took just random people and divided them up into prisoners and guards and all the prisoners started getting very uh, meek and very, very, uh, you know, um, um, submissive. And all the guards started getting real swaggery and all the rest of it. The question is, could this happen to you? Those experiments are designed to say that, yes, it could happen to anybody. I don't buy it. I don't, I don't, I don't buy it. Um, I'm not saying that it can't happen to people who would deny it. I'm just saying it can't happen to us. And by us, I mean the stratosphere launch crowd. Uh, no. I went out to a restaurant with my wife a couple nights ago, one of our favorite restaurants. We went in there and they said, um, I said, table for two? And they said, sure. Can you show us your proof of vaccination? And I said, I'm not showing papers to have dinner in a restaurant in America. Well, I'm sorry, sir, if you can't show your vaccination uh, proof because this is California, it's Los Angeles, then uh, you can have dinner outside on the patio. First of all, it's 50 degrees at night, which is cold for California. Secondly, I'm not going to go eat on the patio with the rest of the, of, the, of the subhumans. I just said, I'm not showing papers to eat in a restaurant. Turn around and walk down. People like that. I'm not trying to blow my own horn here because you're like that too. People like that don't become prison camp guards. They don't. And, uh, and when we talk about all the corruption and all of this stuff, we we're talking about the police a few minutes ago and all the rest of it. Look, I've been living in, in a state of financial hardship my entire life. This business is hanging on. We got a big boost of membership this time a year ago, but it's, I mean, it's just, it's just hanging on. I have, I've not had financial comfort at any point in my life ever. And the reason I tell you this is because if somebody offered me a sum of money to do something that I found morally repugnant, there is no sum of money that would get me to change my mind. And I mean, there is no sum of money, none. People say, well, you know, would you do it for a million dollars? No. Would you do it for 50 million? No. Would you do it for a billion dollars? No. Would you do it for a hundred billion dollars? No. Think of all you could do, all the good you could do with a hundred billion dollars. That's how you walk right down the road to hell. No, the answer is no, I'm not bought. I can't be bought and I'm not gonna be bought. I would rather be able to face myself than have the means to buy more TV sets. So when I hear about all this corruption, you find people doing this for money, murdering people for money, murdering people. When I say murdering people, I mean things like, you know, experimenting on kids so it, to improve uh, pharma sales, let's say. I can't process it. I'm not so ignorant that I don't see that it's there. I just can't process it. Um, everyone has, Marsha says, everyone has their thumb screws, not always money or power, and the few who do resist get shot first. I disagree with that. Um, I think the few that do resist are the ones that do the shooting first. It's, it's the ones that don't resist that get shot first. The, the resisting is the resistance if you don't resist, you're going to get shot. That's what I'm trying to say. And the reason that we haven't been put into camps like the Australians is because unlike the Australians, we didn't give up our guns. I lost my guns in a terrible, tragic boating accident. But the fact that we have... See, this is the thing that the left never, ever understood. And I'm not entirely sure we understood it completely either. It, 
private ownership of guns is pretty much exactly like nuclear weapons. The fact that you've got them means you never have to use them. I'm not saying you don't have to use guns against criminals and all the rest of it. What I'm saying is the government will never come after the American citizens with guns. And the reason why they won't come after American citizens with guns is because we got more guns than they do. Now, in Australia, that's not the case. In Australia, they have created camps in the North, uh, is it Northwest Territory? North, yeah, I think it's Northwest Territory. Top of the, top of the continent there, up by Darwin. They've got, um, they've got uh, quarantine camps for people that don't even have COVID. And this is where they send the people who resist the vaccine. This is the concentration camp. That's what it is. There's no other word for it. It's a concentration camp. It is the concentration of people who are not vaccinated. And they send them up there. And a week or two ago, three um, Aboriginal kids, Northern Territory, not Northwest, sorry, Northern Territory. Could have probably gotten that from Qantas if I thought it through. Qantas, by the way, stands for Queensland and Northern Ter Queensland and Northern Territory Air Service. That's what Qantas stands for. Um, and, and so these three kids who didn't even have the disease, not that that makes any difference, escaped from the camp and they're doing roadblocks and they're checking trunks. They got dogs going through the woods like they were like they were mass murdering terrorists. Australia. I mean, the level of shame that I deal with on a daily basis here, watching what happens in this country is almost overwhelming. But I don't know how they deal with it in Australia, at least here, at least here. You've got a side. You've got you've got you can lament the fact that half of the country's lost its mind and that the government is now just waving the banners of Satan everywhere it goes. But at least here there's a there's another team and it's not and it's not a trivial team. You know, it's half the country, probably more than half is still here and sane. in Australia. I, I, I went to Australia, I spent uh, four months there. That's not, a, that's not a small amount of time. Four months is enough time to get to really know a country. Not super well, but it's not, hey, we were there for a weekend. Um, and I cannot believe that the Australians put up with this, not because they're as freedom-loving as Americans. Americans are more defensive of their freedom than anybody else in the world. But the Australians are, at least were, so loose about authority, just so... No worries, man. It's, it's a no worries made country. No worries. Well, a lot of worries now. Um, I should talk to, I love the people at Sky News. Sky News Australia is the only way you can get accurate news about what's happening in American politics. It's the only people, only people out there that are covering American politics, honestly. It's Sky News Australia. And I love them. Um... I just, I just want to know, um, you know, there is a, the clock is ticking. And when you start this kind of repression, there is a window during which you can resist. And after that point, frankly, every day it gets more and more difficult. So now you have to hope that the government of Australia will do something much more outrageous because that's what it's going to take. It's going to take something. It's going to have to kick the Australians out of it. 
and, and it's this law abidingness and it's our unwillingness to, to lose our comfort and, you know, we, and all of it. But something, something has got to happen. Um, yeah, I, I don't know how the Australians, well, I almost said I don't know how they can live with themselves, but they're, when you hear Australians, you can tell that they're pretty, um, yeah, that they're pretty upset about it. But being upset about it isn't enough. You gotta, you gotta do something. Um, and and I and I would have thought Australia honestly, it would have been the the last country in the in the world to put up with this. But they gave up their guns. They said, no, 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 we'll never, we'll never come and use force against the people. It's Australia. It's a lucky land. It's a happy land. Eric Blade said Australia is essentially California, but no, to be honest with you, Eric, I never thought I'd find myself saying this, but California is nothing like that totalitarian. Nothing like. Uh, Helio1776 has a quote from somebody, and because it doesn't sound like something he'd say, and now we're going to wrap this baby up. They tell us, sir, that we are weak, unable to cope with so formidable an adversary, but when shall we be stronger? This has got to be about the revolution. These are the founders talking about the revolution. Will it be next week or the next week? Will it be when we are totally disarmed, when a British guard shall be stationed in every house? Shall we gather strength by irresolution and inaction? Shall we acquire the means of effectual resistance by lying supinely on our backs and hugging the delusive phantom of hope until our enemies shall have bound us hand and foot? Patrick Henry. Now that's a guy who is going into America's Forgotten Heroes Part 2. And that is also going to get sent into this giant, big old box of um, notes. All right. Uh, I am, uh, I think I'm done for the day. I can feel the croak approaching, the, the encroaching croak, the encroaching, the encroaking. I'm losing it fast now. I'm going down how fast. Watch the 40K trailer. Um, okay, so hey, uh, here we are in the stress free line. It's all lit up in all of its magnificent glory. It is a different kind of a vibe, but I think I'll give it some thought. <laughs> Bill, drink more water. Yes, Bill has to drink more water because uh, the um, asteroid impact here is going to be on January 13th. And to be honest with you, uh, um, depending on, on, on when that heals up, it's possible that I may have to have like the entire face just basically sanded down it's the truth gonna have to look at that very seriously once this thing uh, heals up uh, which hasn't even happened yet but once it heals up enough so that uh, children can watch the show without screaming and running into the room um, then uh I may go down for another week after that because there's lots and lots and lots of these little tiny little patches everywhere, you know, and, and, and I think, uh, I think, um, you ever seen the thing that those, those lasers that clean like the gunk off of engine blocks, that kind of thing. Shh, it's absolutely magic. Shh. I think, I think seriously, I'm not joking. I'm, I'm real serious. I think I might have to have that done. I might just have to laser resurface the entire, uh, we have to just put whole, brand new um you know asphalt down because i'm tired of 
dealing with this. I just, just burn it off and get myself another couple years of fun times. Uh, yes, and I can do it in metahuman form. Exactamente. Exactamente. Exactamente? Yes, I think it's right. All right. Uh, this show is made possible by the members at BillWhittle.com who uh, get a shout-out every single episode, but they also get a shout-out every single day. Uh, for me, anyway, uh, every day I wake up and every day I go to sleep. It's not like I get on my knees and thank them, uh, although I should. It's just that I don't think I ever buy anything or go anywhere, uh, including coming to the studio here, this awesome bitchin' cool studio, without uh, without thinking about the members and, and, and the, the financial commitments they make on a weekly basis. Uh, I'm enormously grateful, and so is everybody else. Uh, so, um, we will see you, I think we will see you next Thursday. I don't see any reason why not. I, I, I had, I need to catch up with uh, both Doomcock again, and I did send a message to Gary over at Nerd Roddick when he, I, I was listening to him live when the, um, when the um, Rittenhouse verdict came down. He had a whole panel talking about uh, Rittenhouse, and I actually put myself in the comment stream like five times. Can I be a part of this? Can I be a part of this? I don't know if you know who I am, but I really, 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 really want to talk about this. I sent him an email through um, Twitch. He said, hey, Bill, uh, sorry I missed it. Uh, let's talk in a, in a couple days. And, and I haven't contacted him since then. So anyway, uh, that seems reasonable. Eric said, next Thursday, all Facebook questions? Yeah, it seems like, seems like the kind of thing that I could promise without fear of consequences. None of you idiots will remember what I actually said if I told you that I never said I would do Facebook. You'll believe me because that's that's what you are. I really want to talk to these guys. I want to talk to Nerd Roddick. I want to talk to Doomcock. And I especially want to talk to Critical Drinker. Uh, I want to talk to all three of them about the same thing. I want to talk to them about the politics behind why they do what they do. Um because I don't think any of them are really fully aware uh, of the Frankfurt School and the whole idea of using the, 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 the culture and the outcast and all the rest of it. So um, anyway, that's what I'm thinking I'll be doing. All right, well, hey, hey-ho, uh, what is it? It's 8.40, so two hours and 30 minutes. I mean, you know, I did the math on these things. Uh, for paying members, it's uh, about 25 cents a show. And when you break this down on a time basis, you're looking at probably about, what is that? Dime a minute, something like that? No, 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 no. Anyway, I'm not saying you got your money's worth. I'm just saying I'm done for the night. Uh, all right, so that'll do it. We'll see you uh, next week right here on the uh, Stratosphere Lounge. Thanks for joining us. Okay, we gone. Bye-bye.